What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Bama Beat Podcast, brought to you by Wickles Pickles and Home Field Apparel. I am Brett Hudson. I'm joined by Clint Lamb. Clint, how you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic, brother. How about you? I'm I'm good. What what y'all don't know is we were going to record this podcast about 90 minutes before we actually hit record because Clint was was stuck in a never-ending pharmacy line. So uh, you you know uh, what it, it's it's my fault. Um, decided to go to a new pharmacy, and I'm not gonna knock any brands or any, or I don't even know what you call it businesses out there, but it was just uh it, it being new. Um, couldn't just simply go through the drive-through, which would have been typically just drop it off, come back an hour later, y'all figure out whatever you need to figure out, and we'll take it from there. Couldn't do that. Um, had to come inside for a bit, and then I got caught up in a line. But it was it was miserable. There's nothing more miserable than being stuck in you know by a pharmacy for an hour and a half. So. Well, if y'all want to haze Clint for trying to get medication, you can find him on Twitter at Clint R. Lamb. But now we can get back to our uh, our business at foot, which is previewing the SEC championship game. And it's kind of weird that we're doing this on Wednesday. But, well, it's, it's weird that we're doing it this late in the calendar. Anyways, December 16th. By now, you're a week into bowl prep under normal circumstances. But we're also doing this on National Signing Day, or uh, the beginning of the early signing period, uh, Alabama's got a pretty ho-hum deal going right now. They they came into the day with 22 commitments. I think all or almost all of them are expected to sign early and to sign today on Wednesday. Uh, maybe we'll be able to circle back around after the SEC championship game and, and talk about the the signing class a little bit, although we don't really have much time in between the SEC title game and the bowl game. So uh, weird, weird, uh, weird schedule this year. We'll probably have to do a recruiting bonanza after the February signing day. Um, but we'll we'll set a recruiting aside for a second because the current football team has a chance at an SEC championship game. And I, I want to start with this, Clint. The, the thinking around this game is that it's going to be – I haven't checked the over-under today, but I checked it late last night for a story I was writing, and it was around 74 and a half. Uh, I'm pulling it up right now. Yes, yeah, still 74 and a half um, on BetMGM, on WinBet, on uh, the Vegas Insider Consensus. It's 74 and a half, and according to this, it opened at 72, so people have, have hammered the over enough that they've kind of coaxed it up to – the 74 and a half range. Do you think it's going to be that kind of a shootout? Do, do you think that, I mean, since Bama scores 42 or 45 on, on basically everyone, do you think Florida is going to contribute a 30-ish point range to to get the game up into that 74 point total? See, that that's the big question for me. And it's simply because we haven't seen Alabama's defense go against a high-powered offense, particularly a high-powered passing game like Florida's uh, in quite some time. So while they've shown tons of improvement, there's still that unknown factor. And and it's like I've said countless times, and I'll continue to reiterate it, elite offense goes versus against an elite defense. Majority of the time, and a, a huge majority of the time, the elite offense is going to prevail. 
And so I think Florida is going to have some success. I'm not necessarily putting them on the elite offensive scale because I don't think they're a complete offense. Uh, but at the same time, it's it's going to be enough where I think they're going to be able to put up some points. So uh, somewhere in the, the mid to high 20s, maybe they can sneak into that low 30 range uh, is certainly possible. But that would kind of be the max that I would think uh, based off of the kind of matchups and stuff that I've been looking at. What about you? Do you think that that 74 and a half is a feasible number for these two teams? It's certainly possible, especially when you consider some of the reasons that, that I believe Alabama's offense actually sets up pretty well for, for Florida's defense. But we'll we'll get to those later on. The the part that concerns me about Florida doing doing up its part, right? Like holding up its half of, of this equation to make this the the 70-ish point shootout that the books seem to think it is. My what well, gives me hesitation with that is Florida has not really shown much of a willingness or ability to run the football basically all year long. And, and they haven't had to, they they've had Tony and Pitts and, and Kyle Trask work himself up into Heisman trophy candidacy and, and Kyle Pitts. I mean, I don't know who else is going to win the, the Mackey award over him. And if not for that weird scratch against LSU and he had a big game there, he could have very well been, in consideration for the finalist for the Bolitnikoff Award, which he very well still could be. Um, I think most people casted their ballots before that that game, so he very well could still be that. They they haven't really had to run the ball much this year because they've had such elite playmakers and ability through the air, but this is an Alabama defense that has proven playmakers in the secondary, in Patrick Sertan the second, in Jordan Battle, in Malachi Moore and, and proven is used to a lesser extent to more and battle just because of their, their age and their amount of experience. But you know, that's proven with Patrick Sertan. They have proven playmakers in the secondary and this pass rush is consistently getting better. I, I, we've talked about it several times over the last few weeks, but Christian Barmore is tied for the SEC lead in sacks with, with six. That's just crazy. When, when you consider where this pass rush was after the first four games of the season. So you you take a team that is, uh, this is going to sound more critical than it's intended, but you take a team that is reliant on, on its pass game. You put them up against a team that has consistently improved its pass rush to the point that it's one of the top two in the SEC in sacks right now. You add in some proven playmakers in the secondary, and it doesn't really look like a great, matchup for Florida so either I guess what I'm saying is for the first time all year Florida probably needs to uh, to, to to use the the old man phrase they need to establish the run right because this Alabama defense is playing in a way recently that suggests they they can handle an offense that sets itself up like like Florida's does that doesn't mean that if Florida is unable to, to establish a run and they're trying to win the game through the air, that they're going to score 10 points. You know, they're, they're going to have some success. Is it going to be enough success? Just throwing on Alabama's defense without the threat, with the real threat of run. Is it going to be enough success to put 28, 31 points on the board and hold up their end of the bargain in terms of that over-under total without establishing some run game? I think I'm a little, I'm a little skeptical of that. 
when I look at this Florida team, it, it kind of baffles me that they're a you know college football playoff contender. And when they lost that game to LSU, I was like, there's no way they're getting in. And the more that I let things simmer, the fact that they only fell to number seven in the rankings, I still think it's a long shot. But I, I've come around a little bit more to say it's, I, I don't think it's like a 0.1% chance. I would venture to say it, even if all the, the things have to happen first ahead of them in order for them to get in, including them beating Alabama. But then, you know, even with that, it, let's say they beat Alabama and a couple of teams lose, I still think that it's uh, – I would put it at maybe a 40% chance they get in if all those things happen. So when you include all those that have to, you can sit there and say it's very unlikely. But the fact that they're in it, I don't know that I've ever seen, um, even with like Oklahoma. Oklahoma has been a college football playoff contender without a defense. But if you think about Florida, the defense has been rough. The run game has been rough. Uh, Special teams has been okay. Um, But really this entire team is built off a next level passing game. And that's really the only thing that Florida has going for it. Um, and, and really if I was Nick Saban, uh, and, and Pete Golding, I would kind of take a similar approach to what Arkansas tried to do against Alabama last week. We saw Auburn, uh, do it to LSU last year with Joe Burrow and all those weapons. And that is, you know, you're dropping seven, eight guys, and you're pretty much saying you're not going to beat us with the pass. Now, what LSU was able to do last year because they had a veteran offensive line, Joe Moore award-winning offensive line, they had Clyde Edwards a layer. They said, fine, we've got the rushing attack that can you know exploit the fact that you're taking away this passing game, and they just ran the ball all over Auburn. Last week, Arkansas does that. Alabama says, we got Najee Harrison, the best offensive line in the country. We'll run the ball all over you. That's totally fine. Can Florida do that? That's the big question. Uh, I, you know, they, they still have a pretty decent offensive line, and I'll get to that here in just a bit. But, you know, do they have the ability, if Alabama says, you're going to beat us with your run game if you're going to beat us at all? Does Florida have the ability to do that consistently enough to have that level of success that they will need to in order to combat a very poor defense or overcome a very poor defense to keep up with Alabama's offense? That's the big question that I have in this game. Uh, you know, kind of going in. Uh, so, you know, we'll kind of just have to see. But the number one question, in my opinion, well, actually, I think- let, let, let me ask you this. Because Florida is the way they are, and, and you, you kind of led this off by saying you were surprised that Florida's a real college football playoff contender because of the way they, they model themselves. How do you think they've gotten there? Like, is it just strictly because they're so good passing the ball or is there some other element of their team that gets them there? Like, I mean, the the defense is, is good, but I don't know that it's elite necessarily. Like how, how have they done this? That, that, and that's what to me has been like, it has been strictly when you talk about the importance of, and, and this is where I'll still give Kyle Trask a lot of credit. Um, I think that if you now, granted, here's the tough part. I, I have a lot of belief in Emory Jones. I still think that Florida's going to be fine next year if Kyle Trask decides to go on to the NFL. But when you talk about what he's been able to do, he kind of is Florida, and, and him and Kyle Pitts. Now, uh, Kadarius Tony certainly, of course, he's been a great playmaker. Trevon Grimes, great playmaker. You got Jacob Co- uh, Copeland in there, who's been able to do some good things. So it's not just saying that that he, literally it's those two guys, but that to me is what has that dynamic is what has what made Florida 
so effective this year. And if they don't have Kyle, we saw Kyle, not them not having Kyle Pitts last week uh, and what uh-huh. that can do. But then you also look at, you know, Kyle Trask. I think that if they didn't have Kyle Trask, you would have to do different things with Emory Jones. He plays a different game than Kyle Trask, and that would affect this Florida team. And would Emory Jones have the natural ability to overcome all the deficiencies that Kyle Trask has. Because the the one thing that he's been able to hang his hat on is he's got plenty of weapons. It's not like he's having to throw to a bunch of nobodies and he's just elevating the play of everybody around him, but he's doing it without a complimentary run game. He's doing it without a complimentary defense. And those are two huge obstacles to overcome. So I can't really, um, it's it's kind of amazing to me. Uh, and, And I'll even say last week against LSU, you can't let that happen. But we all know that if they play nine more times, Florida's winning all nine times. They mm-hmm. they didn't take LSU seriously. I think you know, and this is purely speculation on my part, but there's a reason that uh, Todd McShay at halftime specifically asked Dan Mullen if Kyle, you know, we were going to see Kyle Pitts in the second half. I think that there are a lot of people who are speculating that Kyle Pitts could have played in that football game this past week, and they just were like, you know what, you're not 100%, we'll rush you up for Bama, and this is the difference between the mentality of Ed Orgeron going into that game and Alabama uh, and Nick Saban with Tua Tungvaloa a couple of years ago with, you know, I guess the Citadel with Tua Tungvaloa because, you know, it, he wasn't 100%. He needed to still be resting that ankle or that lower body injury. He had so many. I don't remember which one it actually was that was holding him back back then. But uh, And Nick Saban said, hey, if, if this was going to be, you know, Georgia or whoever, Tua would be playing. So I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, because we're playing a lesser opponent. That's not the right message to send to my team. Uh, you need to take every opponent seriously. You need to be ready to go every single week. And so if he would play against one of these better teams, he's going to play against the Citadel. You know, Dan Mullen, and I said Ed Orgeron earlier, I didn't mean to. I meant to say Dan Mullen. It's a different approach. Uh, He was willing to give, in my opinion, I think he was willing to give Kyle Pitts the, the, the weekend off to kind of rest him up, and it bit them. They're a completely different team. Uh, Dan Mullen was not expecting, you know, Kyle Trask to play as poorly as he did, which he didn't play, you know, just awful. Some of those turnovers were not really his fault. Uh, but, you know, just as a if Kyle Trask is not being Kyle Trask, then Florida is not going to be Florida. That's the bottom line. And he whether he didn't play as bad, maybe as the three turnovers indicates, but he wasn't his typical self as far as the, you know, him you know, being able to pass the ball with efficiency and, and, you know, be able to push the ball downfield and doing a lot of those things, wasn't able to do it. And you saw a a pretty terrible looking Florida squad. So that's the huge, you know, kind of issue for me is I don't really know how to answer that question. That was a very long winded way of saying, I have no idea how Florida is where they're at right now. Well, I, I, the, the way that this, this Florida team is, conducting itself right with with more or less no run game to, to speak of is so weird for Dan Mullen's history because he pretty much always had solid run games at, at Mississippi State let's take this in reverse chronological order his last season at Mississippi State 2017 he had a running back go for 1100 yards and a quarterback go for 16 yards short of a thousand in 2016, his quarterback Nick Fitzgerald went for 1300, and the running back went for 700. 2015 was a little bit down, but that was also Dak Prescott's senior year, so it would it would make sense. And even then, Dak ran for 10 touchdowns. So do with that what you will. 2014, a 1200 yard rusher, and Dak Prescott was 14 yards shy of a thousand. 
2013, Dak Prescott ran for 829 yards and 13 touchdowns. 2012, they had a running back go for 1,000. 2011, Vic Ballard went for 11 yards shy of 1,200. Like, this is uh, – Dan Mullen's teams have always been – like, Mississippi State fans used to have the the half-joking, half-not hashtag, always run, never pass, which is hilarious since they're coached by an air raid coach now. But that used to be their deal. They They used to be the hashtag, always run, never pass team when Dan Mullen was there. And, and now – in his third season at Florida, yeah, it's year three. In his third season at Florida, they take on this mold. And part of that is because Kyle Trask is, is not a mobile quarterback, and, and almost all of his quarterbacks at, at Mississippi State were, were mobile. You handed it over from Dak Prescott to Nick Fitzgerald, so you had five to six consecutive years of, of highly mobile quarterbacks so that that plays a a factor but they also have Emory Jones as a backup quarterback that they use in in certain running situations when they when they want to have a running quarterback in there to just kind of mess with the numbers and the gap assignments and the way defenses play you so they have that that element to them when they they want to use it it's just it's just strange to compare this Florida team that has broken through I, I mean this this Florida team has is by far Dan Mullen's most successful as a head coach, right? Because none of his other teams at Mississippi State made it to Atlanta. That this is the team that breaks through, and they've done so in, in a way that is so atypical for for Dan Mullen. So uh, I don't know how to take that. I, I guess I would just posit it as a word of caution for for Alabama and Alabama fans that just because Florida – hasn't done a ton of running the football this year. And when they have, they haven't done it necessarily well. That doesn't mean they're not going to be willing to. A a desire to run the football is definitely in this coaching staff's DNA. It's just a matter of if they do it or if they think they can do it. My thoughts are pretty clear in that I think Florida has to run the football against Alabama because while – while Florida's got some real, real good talent um, in their passing game and their scheme is obviously operating at a high level, I don't know that that's going to be enough to put up the 45 to maybe 50 points they're going to need to outpace Bama because we'll, we'll get to how Alabama's offense matches up with Florida's defense on the other side. But So essentially what you're saying is you're saying that Dan Mullen's not going to be Mike Leach. You know, uh, yeah, Mike Leach was going against a very exploitable Auburn run defense last week, uh, and they threw the ball over 50 times, and I think they had like seven total carries with their running backs and didn't have, you know, a a ton of success offensively. But the one thing that Auburn had been doing defensively was just allowing teams to gash them with the run game. And they're like, nah, I think we're good. I think we're going to stick with what we do, um, and we're going to do it a lot, even if it doesn't work. Um, so yeah, you're probably right. Dan Mullen is going to take the approach of if Alabama does now early in the game, you can try to limit the success that Florida has by coming out and and doing it that way. And then Florida will probably make the adjustments and then you adjust from there. Kind of like Auburn did against LSU. Uh, you don't just keep running that same, you know, drop seven or eight guys 
even when they start running the football and having success. You've got to make your own adjustments. But early, maybe Alabama can create some separation early in the game by coming out with that mentality. And if maybe if I was Florida and Dan Mullen, you probably know that's what Alabama's going to try to do, or at least some variation of that. They're going to try to take away your passing game, and they're not going to give your run game a lot of respect. You're going to have to earn it. So maybe for Dan Mullen, it's come out there and say, you know what? We're going to try to run down their throats from the very first snap of the game and see if we can get them to kind of back off immediately off of their initial game plan. And then it's Alabama kind of being reactive. I don't know if that will work. I don't know if that will be the plan. But if you're Florida in this football game, you've got to get creative because I just I don't have a whole lot of faith in, in Florida's defense to be able to stop Alabama's offense for four quarters or even close to it. So, But uh, we'll take a quick break. On the other side of it, we will be getting into more, you know, at least a couple of very interesting matchups uh, that I wanted to kind of talk about a little bit. So stick around for that. This is the Bama Beat Podcast brought to you by Wickles Pickles and Home Field Apparel. The holidays can definitely add some unwanted stress. These days, everything is go, go, go. Nonstop hustle has taken over, and it's kind of a lot. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the cans or bottles even turn blue when chilled to perfection. Coors Light is brewed with a three-step cold process. Cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged so it's actually made to chill. As these games are getting hotter, reach for the mountain cold refreshment of a cold Coors Light. You can even have Coors Light delivered to your door. Go to get.coorslight.com and find local delivery options near you. So when you want to hit reset on your busy life, reach for the beer that's made to chill, Coors Light. Celebrate responsibly, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And we're back on the Bama Beat Podcast, brought to you by Wickles Pickles and Homefield Apparel. Homefield Apparel is licensed, super comfortable, unique collegiate apparel, hoodies, t-shirts, sweatshirts. There are even some Homefield branded joggers, um, if if that's your, your scene, which I, I hear they're very, very comfortable. Um, at homefieldapparel.com, there are 13 pieces of Alabama apparel there, plus decor or, or clothing, I should say, from over a hundred other schools. As we're as we're recording this on December 16th, it's probably too late to get some of those items in in time for Christmas. But we all know people who have birthdays early in the years. Or look, treat yourself, man. It's that time of year. Treat yourself. Go to homefieldapparel.com. Get out, get yourself some some Bama gear. Maybe it gets in in time for the college football playoff semifinal or the national championship should Alabama play in either or both. You can use Bama Beat, the promo code checkout at checkout for 20% off your first purchase at homefieldapparel.com. And y'all know about Wickles Pickles. It's a family recipe, 90 years in the making right here in the state of Alabama. Pickles, relishes, okras, a sandwich spread, and much more, giving you all of your pickle taste, the brine, the kind of the change of pace, the contrast with your your main entree, but also giving a little heat with it for those that like some spice in their lives. Go to WicklesPickles.com to see all of their products, and you can find their products at the pickle aisle of your local store. Wickles Pickles let wicked i know why i think alabama's offense sets up pretty well for for florida's defense or at least in one specific area but i, I want to see what what stands out to you in that regard well um 
I just don't think the interior of Florida's defensive line is pretty interesting. I think it'll be interesting in this game, uh, something to keep an eye out on. And and they're, they've they've had some pretty good, uh, you know, pass rush uh, at least to some degree. I think Brenton Cox coming over from Georgia now in his second season there in Gainesville, he's done a pretty good job. Zachary Miller along the defensive line, they have big name guys at all three levels. Uh, Ventrell Miller is a very balanced linebacker, can stop the run, pretty effective in coverage. Guys all in the secondary, but guys have just underperformed across the board. And I guess it's very similar to you know some of the struggles that Alabama's defense had last year. Now, granted, there was injuries involved with that. There was first-year players. There was a lot of that. Uh, Florida more so doesn't have those excuses, but it's like you, you see a bunch of talented guys on the you know Alabama's defense last year, and for whatever reason, they just couldn't put it together enough to not be just a very vulnerable defense. It's the same way with Florida. So it's kind of for me, um, strong secondary. Uh, you know, I think that's extremely important. But my question to you, and this is going to be, this should be everybody's first question when it comes to this matchup, especially when you're talking about Alabama's defense against uh, Florida's Florida's offense. But would be who stops Kyle Pitts? I know that you're on the other side. You're, you were wanting to go to the other side, but this is the first one that I kind of wanted to talk about because I feel like this is extremely important because nobody's been able to do it so far. Uh, no, it's a, it's a fair question. We should probably touch on it. We, ha- we have the time. Oh, um, do you? Well, I guess it depends on the personnel, right? Like if, if, if Florida's going 11 personnel, which is one tight end and three wide receivers, you're probably going to be in your nickel, which would put Sertan and Job on, on the outside wide receivers and Malachi Moore on the slot overhang guy. That could change based on formation and, and personnel tendencies and whatever. Um, so then you're probably – I mean, would you want to risk – you're, would you want to go one high and, and try to put uh, Jordan Battle on on Kyle on Kyle Pitts or maybe Daniel Wright or Demarco Hellams, depending on where where you're at um, in the formation, or do you take the risk in terms of the run and go dime all game, and then you're opening yourself up to put Brian Branch or Demarco Hellams on Kyle Pitts all game, and, and again when you're in dime, you're in theory a little more vulnerable to the run. But as we just spent 20 minutes discussing, Florida doesn't have much of a run game. So maybe you're able to take that risk with, with a smile on your face, knowing that it, better chance than not that it, that it works out for you. Uh, well, where, where would you fall on that? And see, this is why I wanted to dive into this. Cause I, I think it's very fascinating. I've been thinking about it for the last several days and just how I would do it just because, you know, sometimes I, I kind of like to come up with a game plan in my head. You know, if I was Alabama, well, how would I try to attack this offense or this defense or whatever? And then, you know, sometimes I'm right. And a lot more times I'm wrong. And <laughs> normally when I'm wrong, you know, trust me, it's not because I had some kind of advantage over Nick Saban or Pete Golding or anybody else. They, they had the right call. I was wrong. Um, but in this particular case, I've kind of thought about it. And it's like, I, there's a. I know the LSU's plan when Kyle, they were expecting Kyle Pitts to play is they felt very confident in Jabril Cox's ability. Uh, he's got the length, he's got the size, and he, they feel like he has the coverage ability at linebacker 
to to kind of match up one on one with Kyle Pitts, and I would have been that would have been so telling to me to have watched that played out as far as what Alabama could potentially try to do or whatever, because um, just no one has had that kind of guy. And granted, I don't think that Dylan Moses or Christian Harris at, at inside linebacker from just I think Jabril Cox is much better in coverage than either one of those two guys. So it, maybe not the same success, but what I, this is the last place that I kind of fell on it. And that's, I just think that you got, you're not just going to use one guy. It's not going to be a one man job. You're going to bracket. You're going to do a lot of uh, different things to try to take him out of the equation as much as possible. But you're it's also not just double teaming or whatever. It's, you're going to be depending on the situation using a lot of different people there for a minute. You know, I kind of flirted with this idea. You talk about size, physicality, you know, the length and all that stuff. I thought, well, you know, maybe, uh, you know, you could kind of move Patrick Sertan around a little bit. Now, granted, if he's lined up as an inline tight end, which he's not going to do a ton, but you wouldn't want Patrick Sertan down there trying to cover him. You'd have to use somebody else. But in the, you know, whether he's playing outside corner or, excuse me, outside receiver, playing some big slot, you know, anywhere that he's lined up pretty much a receiver, which is going to be a significant portion of the time, maybe because Patrick Sertan has some experience at star and kind of playing inside and things like that, you could maybe kind of shadow him. But I kind of fell on this, just trust your guys. That this The back half of Alabama's defense has a lot of different combinations that you could try. You could try a Dylan Moses or a Christian Harris if Christian Harris ends up playing. I don't know the latest on him. Uh, it, but if Kyle Pitts lines up as an outside corner, you probably, or excuse me, I keep doing that outside receiver. You're probably going to want Patrick Sertan on him if you can. But Josh Job still got you know some physicality. He's got some length. You know maybe that wouldn't be the worst thing if he's lined up you know as a big slot. Even though from a size advantage standpoint, he's going to have a lot on Malachi Moore only being six foot. I think that maybe you try to let that happen and you just give him some help. Uh, you know, I just I think it's probably going to be a combination of things because there's just no everything, every kind of scenario I'm trying to work through in my head. It's like that could stop him, but I don't think it's going to. And I, okay, that could stop, but I don't think it's going to. So it's not a matter of really just completely eliminating him. I think he's going to make at least a couple of big plays. Sertan, we trust you. We feel like you you can go out there and and cover him pretty effectively. But we're going to have you kind of mirror where he's going in a lot of these situations and if it puts you at a disadvantage well you know just try to do your best uh but the hope is and and so it's like i said uh to kind of summarize where i'm at with it i think you use a combination of players given what what florida's doing with kyle pitts i don't think you specifically have one guy tasked with that responsibility it's going to be more than a one-man job from just uh you're going to double him or do whatever you can but then also your my hope for Alabama going in is typically in a lot of these situations, Nick Saban, I think got this from Bill Belichick where the number one option for the opposing offense, Bill Belichick is notoriously known for saying that guy's not going to beat us. And, and he's very good at getting creative and how to stop that number one option. They say, okay, now it's going to have to be your other guys. And if you have the other guys that can do it, then you're going to have a little bit of success and you can make this game pretty interesting. But that guy is, it's not Ed Orgeron going into the LSU game saying we're going to stop or our, our primary focus is to stop Devonte Smith and Devonte Smith goes for 200 yards. Uh, I don't think it's a scenario like that, but that's kind of my thoughts on it is the big question I've been asked so many times this week. And I, in, in fact, to a point where, I, you know, if it's not a Heisman question, it's been, you know, Kyle Pitts, is he playing? And if he does, how does Alabama defend it? So I wanted to go ahead and knock that part of it out. So you got anything else on that? Uh, well, I, I think you're, you're definitely right in that it's going to take a combination because this is something 
pretty much everyone at Alabama has has said over the last few days that Florida does a good job of mixing up formations and, and using shifts and motions and personnel groupings and different things like that to create the advantages and create the mismatches that they want. And you can do that when you have legitimate threats at different positions, as you have with Pitts at tight end and Tony wide receiver and Grimes at wide receiver and and others. So you can kind of do different things with those guys and, and force the opposing defense to play you a certain way, to play you the way that you want them to. Um, so it's definitely going to be something like that. Uh, teams are pretty good at that now. Like no no one person covers Devontae Smith for every snap in, in, in games because they move Smith around. They, they put him in different formations, in different places, in a bunch. So even if you play him one way in a bunch, say he's a, the back right guy, in a bunch and you figure out what you want to do the next time they go to that bunch, he's the front man or he's the back left man. And you're having to figure out what to do with him that way. So there's, there's a lot to that, that goes into that. I, I really, this, this could absolutely come back to, to bite me. And if it does, I'll live with it, but I, I really might just live in dime and let Brian branch have it a go. Like I, I realized a lot of people listening would probably not be super, enthused about the idea of a true freshman going up against the best tight end in the country in the SEC championship game. But Brian Branch is different, man. He's physical. Um, He's got good coverage skills. And maybe he gets absolutely decimated on a few early routes and you got to abandon that. But I'd I'd give it a go because if if that's what you can do, if you can – put Brian Branch on him, or since you're in dime, I guess it could be either Malachi Moore or Brian Branch, whichever one. I'd I'd give it a go and and see what happens, because if you can do that and you free up Patrick Sertan and Josh Joe to take your two uh, outside receivers and and lock things down that way, that is how you get into that territory of holding Florida to maybe 17 or 21 points as opposed to letting that total flirt up to, to 28 or 30 as the over under currently suggests. I like it. Um, so we'll kind of get back to what your initial point was, which yeah, you know. so I wanted to go into why Florida's defense doesn't really inspire me in terms of Alabama's offense, because it's a Todd Grantham defense. And uh, <laughs> I like Todd Grantham personally. He was, he was the defensive coordinator for Mullins last year at Mississippi State, which was my first year on the Mississippi State beat. Um, And I covered Todd Grantham's son, Corbin, as a football player at Starkville High School. He's now playing baseball at at Mississippi State. So uh, the circle of life there. But um, Todd Grantham's emotional blitzing reputation aside they are a very blitzy team they're very aggressive blitzing team and it's kind of created this profile for this year's defense it's not always this way for Grantham defenses but it is this year where yes they they tend to get more sacks and tackles for loss than most defenses they also give up many more explosive plays than you would expect of a defense that ranks where they do in a just basic defensive statistics range, like yards per play allowed and scoring defense and some of that stuff, you would expect a defense that good to limit 
explosive plays better than they do, but they, they give up more explosive plays than you would think. And I, I think it's undeniable that that goes back to teams that get blitz and beat the blitz. And when you beat the blitz, you're, you're likely to put up a, a huge yardage total. And I think this team sets up really well to, to beat blitzes. It's clearly a candidate, if not the leading candidate for the best offensive line in the country, that, that plays a factor. Alabama's tight ends have been growing as as blockers of, of all kinds. Miller Forrestal um, ex- kind of demonstrates that more than, than others, but Carl Tucker's a good blocker. Kendall Randolph is a good blocker. And most importantly, Mac Jones has shown the willingness and ability to take checkdowns when it's there. He's not going to be the person who sits in the pocket for the extra three quarters of a second hoping that he can find a window to throw into 20 yards down the field when that three quarters of a second you take is that time that you need to get sacked. He will take the underneath routes. He will take the dump offs. Arkansas kind of forced him to do that, obviously in a, in a different way. They forced him to take that by sagging back in a deep zone. Thus the, the stuff with them, maybe five to seven yards of the line of scrimmage was the, the easiest throw for, for him to make and the smartest throw for, for him to make. But point is, He's been forced into that kind of a situation before where you have to take the short stuff, you have to take the dump off, and he did it. So you combine a smart quarterback. I, I would use the the G dash 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 M dash dash label here, but apparently that, that gets you in trouble. Um, he's a smart quarterback. I, I think you know what I'm getting at. And you have a really good offensive line in front of him. You would think that all of those factors will come together to absorb – some of, of the blitzing tendencies from, from Todd Grantham and thus create more explosive play opportunities than even the most explosive offense in the nation can, can reasonably um, expect to have. Therefore, explosive plays tend to lead to higher point totals. So that's kind of where, where I fall on that. I, I just think that Alabama's offense sets up well to neutralize the better and best parts of Florida's defense. And, and those things just so happen to go hand in hand with creating a bunch of explosive plays. There's two factors here uh, for me. Um, that's a little bit different. I'm going to go with the, the motivational factors. Uh, and one being Dan Mullen called Mac Jones, a game manager. He really kind of didn't, but that's what they took from it. And Bo okay. Nix. Very so, quickly. I've covered Dan Mullen. That is a term he uses. When, when Bo Nix said it, we don't know if he meant it as a slight. We don't know if he meant it as just a statement of fact or his opinion. With Dan Mullen, I am 99.9% confident that was not a backhanded compliment. That is just yep. a term that Dan Mullen uses. That is how Dan thinks about the game of football. That's how he thinks about the quarterback position. So we've, we've done this weird thing with the term game manager where we've turned it into an, an insult. And I, I get it, but it wasn't that way when it came out of Dan's mouth. I'm just trying to tell people that that doesn't mean you're going to take it that way. doesn't mean that Mac Jones and his teammates are going to take it that way, but it's not meant as an insult when it comes from Dan Mullen's mouth. I can tell you that with almost hundred percent confidence. And, and that's why I, you know, I said that and then I was like, well, I need to go ahead and clarify. I don't think that that's what he was saying. Uh, I did. It's yeah. it's like, you've already known that that was kind of a thing, unless you've just been living under a rock, which Dan Mullen might've been doing. He might've really just not realized 
that that was a huge talking point for you know Bo Nix calling Mac Jones a game manager and then him going out there and just completely slaughtering Auburn's defense as a result. Um, you know, I, that was just not the term to use. So I thought it was funny, and I definitely played into it on Twitter as far as I can't believe we're doing this again. But, yeah, I, I, when as far as what he actually meant by it, I don't think it was anything. The more pressing one is these Florida people, whether it be former players, I think there was a teammate – uh, of Marco Wilson that feel like he's going to shut down Devontae Smith. Uh, that was interesting. Devontae Smith is, I understand that he's coming off a three-catch, 22-yard performance against Arkansas, and maybe that's got them a little overconfident, but the game before he goes for over 200 yards against a very good, uh, well, I wouldn't say very good secondary, but you know enough um, there at LSU. So there's just Alabama can attack you in so many different ways, uh, whether it be multiple options in the passing game, dominant. Uh, if you have a good offensive line, sometimes that's, that's enough to win you a football game. You don't even have to have a great running back or a great quarterback. If the quarterback's got plenty of time, receivers have you know plenty of time to, to let their routes develop downfield. You can still, you know, make some things happen. I would tend to one rather have a very, very good offensive line. Well, I, you know, at least in the old days, maybe not so much or as much anymore, but uh, you always want to have a dominant offensive line, whether it be pass blocking or run blocking. Alabama's got that. You can rely on that if you need to, but even if you don't, you've got a, a running back that's great out of the backfield. He's great, great at creating after, uh, you know, um, you know, contact and things like that. you got receivers, multiple. John Mechie's proven that he can step up. You got Devontae Smith. Uh, you know, Jaleel Billingsley has been a major part as far as kind of starting to step up and being another option that opposing defenses have to, to kind of look out for. So it's just with Ford's defense have been great, that great this year. And, and you were watching them against LSU uh, last weekend. It's like, how can you watch that and sit there and think that they're going to all of a sudden just put things together and look great against Alabama? Uh, they're just not going to do it. At least I don't think they're going to do it. So there's not much that you can hang your hat there. And then so – to me, it's like that's just something that's going to happen. And if Florida needs to take this the approach to this game, like Oklahoma kind of has, and like Ole Miss kind of did there for a while too, in under Lane Kiffin, and that's we're not we're not trusting our defense. Every time we step on the field offensively, there's no grinding clock, there's no shortening this game. It is we're trying to do whatever we can to put points on the board, preferably touchdowns. Uh, and that's what Florida needs to be approaching this game like uh, on Saturday. And and so I think that's the much more intriguing aspect is Alabama's uh, defense against Florida's offense. And to me, I still think there are plenty of things that play in Alabama's favor here. Uh, you know, the, the the starting right side of the offensive line with, with Stuart Reese, a former Mississippi State guy, um, at right guard, you got Gene Delance, I think is his name, at right tackle. The from the center over to the you know Stone Forsyth at, at left tackle, they've been pretty decent, especially pass blocking, run blocking, not so much, but at least you know pass protection. But Stuart Reese and, and Delance, both those two guys, in my opinion, have really struggled this year. Uh, you're going to see a lot of Christian Barmore lining up over Reese. You're going to see a lot of Will Anderson and Christopher Allen over there on Delance. I think that they completely are able to exploit that side of Florida's offensive line, make life uh, on Kyle Trask extremely difficult. Uh, and, and that, of course, is going to make everything else as far as the offense a lot. You know, when you're when you already don't have a run game that you can rely on when you're the right side of your protection is breaking down, that's going to that's a terrible combination. So that's why I think Florida's going to have some success against Alabama. 
But the reason I think Alabama's going to score so many points is mostly because I think they're going to not only be able to score pretty much at will offensively, I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of those offensive drives were very easy for Alabama because of a, a big sack, a big turnover. Maybe you get a pick six, a fumble return for a touchdown, things like that. So I just right now there's just not a whole lot playing in Florida's favor, and, and you know, and that it's kind of on both sides of the football. Have we effectively buried Florida? Have we? Have we more or less done the thing? Uh, I th- man, I, yeah, and, and I don't, I don't want anybody. Uh, <laughs> I don't want anybody uh, pointing at us and saying, you know, that it's it's they're going to just completely railroad them and run away with it. There are paths for Florida to cause problems if if Alabama's defense is not adjusted to the, you know the kind of high powered, can spread it around, very efficient, very you know whether it be high percentage passes or things that just Kyle Trask makes happen. You know they can do some different things to make it difficult on Alabama's defense. And if they're able to do that, they can make this a pretty interesting game, but it's just, it's a combination of every other factor involved. And the fact that I can't even, I can't hang my hat on that for Florida. You know, if, if I could sit there and say Alabama's defense has continued to play extremely poorly, there's no way that, you know, in going in that I think Alabama's defense is going to have any sort of shot against this Florida offense, then, you know, I would be speaking about this game a lot differently, but it's the it's a matter of we think that it's heading in this direction for Alabama's defense, and the pass rush has been incredible the last couple of weeks. Interior, exterior, didn't matter. Um, this making things a lot easier on your linebackers in coverage, your safeties, your corners, everybody else, and and that plays against Florida's strengths offensively as far as the passing game and and stuff like that. So, uh, I don't think Florida really has played a a, a front that as good as Alabama's playing right now, maybe Texas A&M with uh, DeMarvin Lill and some of those guys, Bobby Johnson or whatever his name is, Bobby Brown. Oh, Bobby Brown's his name. Uh, But, you know, pretty good defensive front there. But I think that everything's playing right now in Alabama's favor, so you have to acknowledge that. Uh, I think the best way I can can put it is Alabama's going to get their point total. Bama's going to get theirs. They're going to get – above 40, uh, possibly flirt with 48 and, and flirt with 50. Typically, opposing, or, or for the last like six games or so, opposing offenses have blinked kind of early. Like they've they've blinked and Bama's gone on a 21 unanswered run before the end of the first half. And it's just a boat race from there. I think if it does become a boat race, if Bama does have that stretch where they just put up 21 unanswered in a span of like eight minutes of, of game time, if that does happen, it's going to be much, much later in the game than it, than it has with the, the most recent five or six uh, opponents. So in, in the past, Alabama's offense has outpaced its opponent to the tune of 40 and 50 point wins. Uh, this time I think they're going to outpace their opponent to the tune of a 20 to 24 point win. Have I, have I put that a little bit better this time? Yeah. So, okay. Let's, let's say this, um, you know, Alabama, well, Dan Mullen against Alabama is like, oh, and nine. Uh, now granted all of those came back when he was at Mississippi state. So the talent level between the two teams is certainly that, or the, the Dan Mullen coach team in Alabama has certainly closed. That gap has closed pretty significantly. Uh, but, you know, Florida hadn't beaten Alabama since the 2008 SEC championship. So final score 
prediction. What are you going with? Give me some exact numbers. Um, I had to do this for, for the Tuscaloosa News, and I can't remember off the top of my head. I think I landed somewhere in the 48 to 20 range, 48-24 maybe? Somewhere in there. 49-24 maybe? We're at very similar points right now. Because, uh, I see, I have them getting a 50 dead even. Um, and I have Florida at 27. So I have Alabama winning. You know, what would that be? 48-27 would be 21 points. Victory for Alabama, 50 to 27. Yeah. Um, so shall we do the, the record book update uh, and, and get out of here? Absolutely. Go for it, Big Florida. All right. So, uh, we're again, we're, we're going to do Devontae Smith last because if I do him first, I'm not going to be able to breathe for the last two. Um, Najee Harris, his next rushing touchdown will break Alabama's career record for rushing touchdowns. He currently shares it with Mark Ingram and Derrick Henry. They all have 42 rushing touchdowns. His next one, he will break the record, and he will also move himself into a tie for eighth in SEC history and career rushing touchdowns with Bo Jackson. So that's the kind of stratosphere that he's working his way up into. Um, Herschel Walker is in second with 49 rushing touchdowns. Tim Tebow is in first on the SEC list with 57. So the SEC record is very likely out of his reach, but especially if Alabama makes it to the national championship game, uh, he could work himself into the top five and, SEC history and, and career rushing touchdowns. We'll we'll get into that a little bit more later in his uh in, in the season once we get past the SEC title game and we know what bowl game Bama's going to go to. Uh, he has 22 rushing touchdowns for the season right now. Derrick Henry's school record for single season rushing touchdowns is at 28. Um, so still some work to be done there. It would would very much benefit from making it to the national championship game. Najee Harris would in, in that regard. He's also chasing down Derrick Henry's record for career rushing yards. He is 130 yards behind Derrick Henry's record for career rushing yards. He's currently in third. Sean Alexander is in between the two, but the number of the note there is 130. He's 130 yards away from tying. Derrick Henry's record for career rushing yards. That's the the school record. Uh, Mac Jones, very much in in reach of second place in school history for single season passing yards. The he's currently in third. Second is Blake Sims's 2014 season. Mac Jones is only 166 yards behind that. So very very likely that he takes that one down against Florida. He's 640. Five yards away from Tua's single season passing yards record. So again, would would very much benefit from going to the national championship game. But two solid games in Atlanta and then in a bowl game, be it a semifinal or otherwise, could get him pretty close. But if he gets that national championship game and performs well in all three, he's uh he's got a good chance to to get there. Um, let's see. To Max passing touchdowns. He hurt he currently has 27 for this season. The school record was set by Tua in 2018 with 43. That seems tough to beat. 
but 33 is second also by Tua in 2019. So he's five touchdowns away from second in Alabama history in single season passing touchdowns. Or, or sorry, six, six away. So he's he's working his way up there. He's he's one behind a tie for fourth, three behind AJ McCarron in, in third. So he's gonna work his way up. But in terms of his full on potential of, of breaking the record, very unlikely possible to get to tie for second or solo second in school history in single season passing touchdowns. And now whew, we get to Devontae Smith. He is 27 yards behind Amari Cooper's career record, uh, school career record for career receiving yards, 27 yards behind. So pretty likely that, that he gets that one. When he does that, he will also be second in SEC history in career receiving yards. And again, once he passes Amari Cooper, he's going to be roughly 300 yards behind the SEC career receiving yards record held by Jordan Matthews. I think we discussed that in a previous podcast. Um, again, would very much benefit from going to a national championship game. If, if he does what he should do, which is break Amari Cooper's record pretty early in the game and give himself maybe at least two quarters of the SEC championship game plus a semifinal and a national championship game, you feel pretty good about Devontae putting up 300 yards in that span to get himself the SEC record for career receiving yards. But cross that bridge when we come to it. He's also exactly 400 yards behind the Alabama school record receiving yards, which is very close to the SEC record for single season receiving yards. So as, as the postseason becomes more clear, that'll become closer to reality. The single season receptions record is probably out of reach for him. The Alabama one anyway, he is still like almost 40 catches behind Amari Cooper's record. So that's, that's going to be tough. The career record is possible. If Bama goes all the way, he is 27 catches behind Amari Cooper's record for career reception. So he would have to get nine catches in each of the next three games. Again, if, if Bama goes all the way to tie Alabama's record for career receptions. And then touchdowns for Devontae Smith. He is one touchdown away from tying, two touchdowns away from breaking the school record for single season receiving touchdowns. Once again, set by Amari Cooper. Once he does that, he'll be getting pretty close to the SEC single season receiving touchdowns record. And if once he breaks Amari Cooper's single season record for receiving touchdowns, which again, he's two touchdowns away from doing that. Once he does that, he will be tied for 15th in FBS history in career receiving touchdowns with two receiving touchdowns. He will be one of 16 receivers in FBS history to have 40 or more receiving touchdowns in a, in a career. Pretty, pretty impressive stuff. And as I always say, especially when these things happen early in the game, I, I try to update these lists as we go. So you can check the website, tiesports.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Brett underscore Hudson to get an idea of, of when these guys make a move up the list and, and when they have an accomplishment like this, especially for, for a night game, I'm going to be fighting deadline towards the end of it. So I won't be able to update them in the fourth quarter necessarily, but I try to update them somewhat shortly after the game, maybe by Sunday morning or Sunday 
afternoon. So you'll you'll know about some of these things as they're happening during the game. But once the game is over, I'll, if you follow me on Twitter at Brett underscore Hudson, I'll, I'll let you know where the where things stand at that moment. And that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Bama Beats podcast brought to you by Wickles Pickles and Home Field Apparel. Next time we talk to y'all, we're going to be not only discussing an SEC championship game, but assuming Alabama wins it, we're going to have a college football playoff game uh, on our hands. The the playoff rankings are set to come out at 11 a.m. Central on Sunday morning. So we'll, we'll know within a few hours, really, of, of the SEC championship game ending if Alabama made the playoff or if they did, where they'll go and who they will play. We'll break it all down every which way we can here on the Bama Beat Podcast. Thanks for listening. Go support Homefield Apparel and Wickles Pickles.